gonna have a real good time together We're gonna have a real good time together We're gonna laugh and dance and shout together We're gonna have a real good time together We're gonna have a real good time together Hangover My mother just told me that um, the person of the group that recorded Turning Japanese, Turning Japanese, you know, Turning Japanese, was a fucking liar. Can you believe that? Can you believe it? Hello, and welcome to the Real New Fall Podcast, a subsidiary of Jokerman Podcast. I'm Evan. I'm Ian. Today we're joined by longtime friend, friend of the show, author, poet, artist, failed visionary, John Tottenham. Hello. John was the first person who ever told me that he listened to the, a lot of the show in one period. It's also the only podcast you've ever listened to. Is that correct? (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I'm touched. Why did that even happen? It was recommended to me by a friend of ours. Benonius. No, it wasn't him. It was Luther. Oh, Luther. Yeah, Luther. And obviously I was interested in it because it dealt with the late period Dylan. And I just happened to be taking a road trip around the Southwest and uh, quite a long, lonely road trip and you guys were my company for it in fact i took great comfort in your show that's a beautiful thought and it led me to reappreciate a lot of those later dylan records too you've adopted something of our mindset over time us and fallen angels accompanying you on (laughs) the desolate landscape (laughs) of (laughs) southwest america yeah we're doing something I've always wanted to do. I've wanted to do for a long time anyway. We're talking about a, a band from your neck of the woods, John. Yes. Well, you know, I'm from down south, uh, London way, et cetera. And I've never even been to Manchester. It's quite a pathetic admission. Oh, wow. Uh, When I lived over there, it didn't hold much appeal, the north. But now I'm fascinated by it. And I wish I'd explored it more back in the day when it would have been less uh, despoiled also. How long were you uh, over there in... uh... In, in England, John? Well, I was born there. 
course. Right. I spent the first 23 years of my life there or something. But I've been here quite a long time now. We're talking about the fall, and it seems like it's sort of an impossible thing to do. A lot of people sort of would say, you can't do it. Nobody's ever done it. Nobody's ever talked about the fall on a podcast. And um, we're here to break. We're here to break new ground. Break new ground. There's never been a fall podcast. No, I'm just making that up. Probably there is. I'm pretty sure there. I I Googled fall podcast before this, before we came on and there was absolutely nothing. So it has some name that has absolutely nothing to do with the fall or Marky Smith. This might be the very first. It probably has some weird name that's like a reference to a a lyric within a lyric or something. (laughs) (laughs) And also, so Ian, you've never really listened to the fall so much. Yeah, I uh, I have I've been told to listen to the fall uh, uh, by certain people in my life. You, Evan, and uh, one other person who will actually be joining us uh, for uh, another fall episode later in the week, but no spoilers quite yet. Uh, but uh, the discography always seemed kind of overwhelming to me, um, and I realize now that that's kind of part of it. Uh, and uh, I'm really excited to go on my own journey through all of this. Uh, but starting here with perverted. Uh, by language, um, uh, is a good, has been a good sort of intro, uh, to the band for me here, which is earlier, obviously, uh, not, uh, late period quite yet, but, um, it's, uh, it seems like an exciting task at this point because this record is, <laughs> I'm in on all of I'm it. I'm glad the to sound, hear that. <laughs> the vibe, Marky Smith, this is much more my speed than, uh, than Scott Walker and the Walker brothers were. Fair enough. I mean, I think that this record is a really interesting one to start with. And the question, of course, was kind of in the air when we were thinking about doing an episode about the falls, like where to start. And initially it was like, maybe we should just do 50,000 fall fans, which is like sort of a career spanning retrospective. But I think that the real the work would be kind of uh, it would actually be harder to do that. Um and it's better just to do what we've always done, which is kind of pick a point in a career and then go from there. There you go. Perverted by Language is a record that uh, I think is a really interesting transition period point for the band because there's so many people for whom like the early stuff is the most beloved. And this is sort of the marking point of where they transitioned into the, the Bricksmith era. Um, Brick Smith being Mark Marky Smith's wife from the fucking Valley from well, Los Angeles. She was 20 years old when they met. They actually met in Chicago. That's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, been, yeah. And she's a 20-year-old blonde girl from the Valley who's like the last person one would imagine joining the fall. That was Wings, violet span of welded flesh. Now, through a time warp, again through a time warp, now, now, totally wired, my favorite. Yeah, she's. Do you know why she's called Bricks? Is because it's she named herself after Guns of Brixton by The a- Clash. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> That's like how obsessed she was with English music. That's so funny. You think it's one of their worst songs? One of their worst songs. I can. <laughs> no, I, I consider London Calling to be maybe the most overrated record of all time. Wow, wow. <laughs> John, you're already dropping fire tech. You're going to fit right in on this program. Yeah, just dropping nuclear bombs. <laughs> um, well, 
you also were kind of shit talking this record before no, we. I never shit talked it. Oh, I you kind of did. You're like, yeah, it's an, it's a minor. You thought it was uh it was. What was your initial thought about it, and why did you? Where, where do you stand now? Not well, to like give it all away, but it's a great album. I love it. It's uh, like you said, it's a transitional record. Bricks is actually only on two songs, I think. Right. Mm-hmm. So she's barely on it at all, though her influence can definitely be felt on the Hotel Bloedel. Definitely. Um, it's sort of well understood by fans of The Fall that her influence on the group was to kind of make it poppier, more as radio-friendly as they ever got, was because of her. And it's really an interesting thing that Mark E. Smith was so taken with her and her, and her style, I think, because... It feels like an unlikely pairing. Um, Very much so. It seems like why would he? You you'd think he might look down his nose on sort of like a a, a effusively interested girl from Los Angeles who's just like, oh, this is so great. But instead, he was like, you're a genius, and and they were suddenly like a a pair, and then quickly married after like three months of meeting. I think they bumped into each other yeah, at a show at a club in Chicago and they quickly became inseparable and she moved over to Manchester to join him. But uh, she said was the effect of when she joined, you know, that it was a complete canvas and she just added some light and shade. Yeah. Or she added some light to the darkness of the band. And that's maybe a good point just to establish. I'm sure many people who are listening are familiar with The Fall to some extent and kind of the the rotating cast of people who have come in and out of the band. But that has really kind of been the uh, the the story of Marky Smith and the group, The Fall, such as it exists, in, in that it is just a constantly shifting cast of characters who come yeah. in and leave and then come back and yeah. then he shouts at them and they leave again. <laughs> Yeah, but that's somewhat exaggerated. I think she called him the Mancunian Castro. Uh, <laughs> that was like a, a thing that she... Yes, he he's infamously... Marky Smith of The Fall was um, R.I.P. He was, uh, yeah, sort of like tyrannical in a way. But I, I think that if... I mean, yeah, I guess we haven't even talked about who The Fall is. Like, if you need to know the basics... How would you describe what the fall is, John? If, if someone you loved was dying, <laughs> the only way that they could make it out is by you explaining succinctly who the fall were. What would you tell them? Uh, well, you know, it took me a long time to get into them, honestly. I was sort of a latecomer to them. I mean, a lot of people do have trouble separating them from all the other bands from that era. They don't sort mm. of recognize what's so special about them. And then one, once one, I'm dying, John. I, I'm not getting to the. I, I don't know what. I still don't know. <laughs> no, I don't know either. Well, you did say that they're special. Well, of course they're special. Yeah, there's something about the band that I think actually is as close to a uh, like a de- definition of Jokerman uh, mindset, the Jokerman creed, as you could get. It's something that you see with Dylan, obviously, and with Lou and John Cale and uh, so so on. But it's a, a band version of that. That relentless pushing forward, this this thing, Van Morrison, too, is like this, like runs the band like the fucking Navy, like runs this, runs their music career like the army. 
and you may die uh, right. doing it. And if you can't handle it, then you're just kind of like left to flail. But mm-hmm. he was determined to keep this band going and he kept it going until the very end. And there's, you know, how many records? Like 30 something. That's that's Jokerman mindset, uh, if there is ever a thing. Mm. And and this one record, to me, I mean, my intro was probably 50,000 Fall fans, that uh, career retrospective. And then shortly thereafter, I was listening to uh, Live at the Witch Trials and some of the earlier stuff. But Perverted by Language, I think, is a record that has everything you would want from a Fall record. And every Fall record does have that. But this is one that I think you see them in, like, full flower. You see them, like doing something so committed but it feels so rough and uh like free at the same time that whole shifting cast of characters thing has been a bit exaggerated mm, hasn't because well i mean they had the same bassist and guitarist for 15 years or something sure and that's pretty pivotal yeah Greg scanlon and steve hanley but Briggs was only in the band for six, seven years. Yeah, she right? came back later, though I think in the nineties for a record okay. or two. But they were um, in, there was a lot of records during those periods, so she was. Yeah, that seemed like it was kind of the high water mark uh, of the band in terms of the um, the commercial yeah. success, such as it ever was for them. Um, and then, uh, and that probably you know had something to do with, like you were saying, Evan, the lightning effect. Uh, that she brought into the band's darkness. And then thereafter, uh, obviously, Marky Smith just continuing on <laughs> his own twisted journey. The thing about the, of Marky Smith falling for an L.A. lady is just like so romantic. And it, it's also like the thing that ties us to I've always kind of loved that about the band, that it felt like a way in knowing that like, someone from Los Angeles like from the Valley had such an in- influence upon this band, like this indelible, uh, you can't extricate uh, her from the band. Ha ha ha. <laughs> but uh, that really is a, a real thing that shows like Marky Smith was as fascinated with American music and was his whole life. I think um, as much as bricks and as much as you or I might be, you know, fascinated by aspects of, uh, British music <laughs> and this record is just kind of like everything all at once uh, it's just become my favorite one really in a, in a discography where I have no favorites because I love all my children equally well let's talk about it you don't deserve rock and roll it's mm. the first song <laughs> Said you're too smart for here. Said I'll see the manager. 
He was the manager. Eat yourself better. Up the stairs, mister. Eat yourself better. I mean, what did you think when you first heard this, Ian? Uh, I don't know what I thought. I, 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 I think I, I was listening to... I heard this on 50,000 first because that's what we were going to do first. And then, you know, I obviously came back to it when we decided on doing this record. Um, and I was listening to it just like, I don't know, walking around or doing chores or something like that. And at a certain point, I was like, all right, when is this song going to start? Because it just yeah. like, it starts and it's the same repetitive bass line again and again and again. And I'm like, all right, it's going to, something's going to happen at some point, right? And then eventually I just looked down at my phone and I realized, like, oh, it's just six and a half minutes and it's all the same 15 <laughs> seconds. It's like the background of a Hanna Barbera cartoon that's just played on loop uh, for the entire length of it. Uh, and it, uh, it rocks. It's, it's incredible. Uh, well, Repetition is one of the earliest fall songs. This is the trios, the trios. Repetition, repetition. Repetition being like something that is, uh, I think, an essential thing in the band, but it's not boring. It's like, it's just a tool that is used by Marky Smith. It's, it's a very jarring song. It's it's irritating. It's almost deliberately yeah. irritating. Yes. And he <laughs> stretches the listener's patience with it. It's a sort of song you'd expect to last two minutes in the middle of a record, and it lasts six minutes at the beginning of it. Exactly. <laughs> uh, the, the video is quite entertaining too. I don't know. Oh if yeah, it's great. That. Yeah, I was watching that. It's like surprisingly, like kind of like fun and like choreographed and yeah. like <laughs> put together for them. You see him dancing. He dances. Too. Yeah, I think yeah. that you, when you see him, anybody dance to it, and you see him dancing to this song. I thought that was like a moment for me where I was like, oh, like this song has more than a, it's not stagnant or static. Like it actually is something you can vibe to. And like the listening to the fall is kind of like a process of gradually vibing on the level that he is to this music. Yeah. It strikes me as the kind of thing where like, uh, you know, you put this record on, it's the first song and like, uh, you know. Uh, eight out of every 10 listeners is going to be like, what the fuck is this? And just like rip it right off. But the other two are going to just be like completely dialed in and fall in love right from the beginning. Then you probably noticed that Eat Yourself Fitter was the slogan on a breakfast cereal ad campaign from that time. Well, that makes also. sense. I didn't know that, but I, that totally <laughs> makes sense. Yeah, but all, catalog's <laughs> all brand. There's something really funny and very mean about that song title and that lyric. It's like, eat yourself fitter. It's like, it just sounds like it's saying, fuck yourself. Exactly. And it might have been Mark's, he was sick of people chastising him for his unhealthy lifestyle. A riposte to that. Well, yeah, he has that quote where it's like, if you were the prime minister, what would you do? And he said, I had half the price of cigarettes double the tax on health food and declare <laughs> war on France. <laughs> you know, that he should have run for office. Yeah, he should have. Uh, the part of the, the song where he gets into like, what's a computer? The computer shit is so good. What's a computer? Eat yourself better. What's a computer? Eat yourself better. 
And that's to me like what's so fun about this stuff is like just, you know, exploring it really for the first time in any great depth is just like these little snatches of lyrics that come out of nowhere uh, and uh, and are just like so searingly brilliant in the middle of this, like right before he gets to the verse where he's just going like G-O-H-O-H-O-9, just like literally just fucking gobbledygook kind of language. That computer verse, I think, is like totally just like razor sharp and still means just like probably means even more today to a contemporary listener than it might have in fucking 1982, 1983. Where's the cursor? Where's the eraser? Where's the Nobody cursor? voices apparent meaninglessness with such scathing conviction as he does. Mm-hmm. There's also the part where he says the Kevin Ayers scene, South of France, plush velvet, a back, a back. Yeah, well, what, what, well you know about Kevin Ayers, right? What is it? Why is he mentioning him in this context? Well, Kevin Ayers lived in the South of France, and although he was English, he spoke with a French accent and he was a, he was a Francophile. And then he mentions Velvet afterwards. And, the, you know, the Vel- Kevin Ayers put on that show with John Cale and Nico, as you may recall. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. sort of brought yeah, the Velvet. Fuck, when he fucked John's wife. Yeah. That's right. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's another lyric in this song. It's Met a Hero of Mine. Apparently that's about John Cale. What? Really? Uh, yeah. No way. Uh, no, I was reading up on it. John Cale played some show in Manchester and Smith met him there, I think, or was briefly introduced. But apparently Cale... He played a very, uh, he played a solo set. It was very quiet. He was at the piano and uh, Mark Riley of the Fall was upset that people were talking during the show and walked through the audience telling people to be quiet. Wow. We're already clashing worlds. The Jokerman universe is just continuing to uh, deepen and uh, uh, draw further connections. I mean, that makes a lot of sense that Marky Smith would be. Oh, John yeah, yeah. He was fan. a huge Velvet. He was a Velvets fan, fan, too. Yeah. Marky Smith had yeah. like a really omnivorous uh, taste in music. Rockabilly was. He but loved he, country music. He was also a Lou fan, right? He, oh, yeah. he really loved Lou Reed. And, and it's sort of that thing of like. Um, not exactly that wanting to sense. like ever make his. He, he, I don't think he was ever anyone who wanted to appear as a fan of anybody else, really. Um, but yeah. he, I think, there's moments when you can tell he actually is doing a, a distinct nod toward musicians he likes, like uh, or respects. Right. I mean, the John thing really makes sense. I think because like knowing just the little bit that I do about him and and hearing um, uh, stories and stuff, like. The whole like John hockey mask, uh, uh, chicken shit, uh, sabotage, nuclear holocaust kind of personality seems like, you know, uh, a direct kind of like influence on the whole fucking thing that he did. Well, you know, what's funny is that an early, early version of the group, the earliest idea for the band that Marky Smith had was that he would be called, if I'm, my memory serves, like the fly, and he was dressed as a fly, and <laughs> that he was just like an annoying fly man who's just like won't shut up and is buzzing, and uh, that is like his spirit animal. And it is sort of similar to that theatric, theatrical uh, hockey mask thing. Like, But he quickly, I think, rightfully realized that he didn't have to actually do that. He could just embody it. <laughs> you just sound that way make you feel that way and the song eat yourself bitter just like it really is just like uh it just tears you down it, it tears down any expectation that you're gonna like have a, a an easy time and by the end of it you're kind of down for the hard time that it uh introduces 
Yes, it's an abrasive beginning to a record which has many, it's a lot softer than their previous ones in many ways. This one's softer. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this one also, the drumming on it, something about the way this record sounds, I love so much because it feels very like spontaneous and raw, but it also, um, I don't know. It's like these these songs don't sound like any other thing. They feel so themselves. Each of these songs feels exactly itself. Um, and the drumming feels inextricable from the all the instrumentation. Like listening to it, it feels like if I could clone myself, I might m- make a band that sounded like the, like uh, <laughs> like with my current musical ability, which is not great. But together, they create something that's like a virtuoso musician could never do this. Did, did they have uh, two drummers? Yeah. In this era. Cause in the video, in that video, yeah. it, they were two drum. I mean, the, obviously it wasn't like an actual video of them tracking the song live. Well, so actually that, they were, that was them tracking this version in the video. Tempo house. Well, tempo house is literally that version is the okay. record. Yeah, so yeah. like, yeah, I mean, it might as but well. The version yeah. of this song. Yeah. There were two people in the studio playing drums together. Yeah, I, I think so. And you can hear it. It rocks. It rocks. Yeah, I mean, that that opening part is just so iconic. The bass is very prominent. It's sort of the lead instrument throughout the record, in fact. And there's, like, no development on the bass either. Like, it just, no. like, there's no... It, it, it just, it's the same fucking thing. It just drives it into the ground. Yeah. I think that it forces you to think about the lyrics and how they change and develop. Um, And the next song, Neighborhood of Infinity, it just, this is just fucking, this is a rock song, Ian. That sure is. I mean, this one seems like it seems like if you were trying to sequence this record to like make it semi listenable to a semi, you know, large audience, like this would be closer to like a side one track one kind of choice and then eat yourself fit or, you know, somewhere later on. But this is like as kind of easy listening as it gets on this record. And it's still pretty cacophonous. Well, it's, I think there's there's softer moments like Hotel Bloedel or, or softer. Sure. But yeah, this one, it just feels like a straight up two minutes two two thirty something like that. It's a great Before, title. It's a mathematical term, isn't it? What? Neighborhood, Neighborhood of, infinity. of infinity. I mean, like great everything title. else, it's a, it has, I mean, he's a poet really. And he's uh, Marky Smith is like, I think he once said, John, John is my de facto poetry editor from time to time. <laughs> That's right. Uh, you, were, I was uh, chuffed, as you say, to um, you said something about 
at least one of my things had like a, a Smith quality. And if, if he's an influence on any way that I think about writing, it's, you know, he he's like always using double meanings so strategically yeah. and for like effects that um are, I think, rewarding. Well, he's an abstract lyricist and he buries the meaning frequently. Yeah, that's what we're constantly talking about. Yeah. You're constantly bothering me about how I'm uh, being a... Uh, Willfully obscure. Willful obscurantism. Yeah. yeah. It's always with Smith, it's this uh, wonderful mixture of the cryptic and the colloquial. Yeah. And of course, at the end, we've just got We Are the Fall, which is like uh, a thing that they do a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Name of the band, I think I read in in my uh, you know brief Wikipedia uh, trawling, comes from the Camus novel, Camus, Fall, right? right yeah. And and Marky Smith didn't even come up with it himself. It was one of the other guys that was in there initially. Oh, it was probably Martin Bremer. Yeah, yeah, he went on to form the Blue Orchids. It's a so, great name, isn't it? Yeah, very simple, straightforward name, but has many many dimensions that you can read into it. All right, we got to talk about Garden. This one rocks. A masterpiece. <laughs> Yeah. feels like just itself like this is not a song that sounds like other songs absolutely the lyrics are more bleak than ever aren't they what's your read on the lyrics well i think they're great but it's uh, you know smith's lyrics they they look good when you read them unlike most writers and of course he never printed them on the record that would be too ghost and neither did dylan of course right i mean what a weird song i don't know what he's well, I mean, the first stanza is phenomenal. The first god had in his garden from the back looked like a household pet when it twirled round was revealed to be a three-legged black gray hog. See what flows from his mushy pen. Yeah, mushy Garden, pen. garden. I think mushy pen is maybe a yeah, dick joke. You think? See what flows. <laughs> yeah, it could be. I mean, come on. Well, like a, sort of like a perverse creation myth at the beginning yeah, of, of this. Where he's just talking about like the Garden of Eden, but it's just like gross. Uh, the person, that person is films on TV five years back at least. He's the young generation dancing troupe. No, that was a dancing troupe on BBC. Yeah. 
Well, who's he talking about? The, the young generation dancing troupe. Okay. They but, were a dance troupe who used to perform to, you know, on top of the pops or whatever. I see. Yeah. Thank you for translating from... <laughs> Thank you for translating British. Well, I mean, there are so many allusions to, you know, bygone British culture in his songs now. Yeah. It, it does uh, seem very kind of attuned to this, like, early, mid-80s, like, you know, it, the, the like, deindustrialization of the whole fucking Thatcherite yeah. era of... Uh, of England, uh, especially with some of the footage that you get of Manchester that just looks like this, like, looks like it's basically 1945. Uh, it's just been bombed out and never, never restored. Um, uh, and so it's, it, I don't know, it's, um, I'm, I'm going to be interested to see what, how that kind of develops as I listen to more into the future, because this stuff really feels so, like, uh, uh, pungent and just, like, smacks of that whole, fu- like, the, you know, the coal miner strike kind of era. He yeah, worked exactly. on the docks as a young man. He was like a blue collar, work yeah, blue collar guy. He does not seem like an art school type of guy. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't, was he? Or- no, no, not at all. I'm very proud of not being one also. Hell yeah. Good yeah. on you. I avoided it somehow too. Did you? <laughs> so basically, I didn't go to Parsons or whatever. Sure. That part where he says he had a Kingdom of Evil book under a German history book. He was contrived like that. <laughs> I don't know who he's talking about, but Kingdom of Evil is a, a horror novel. Yes, uh, by Ben Hecht, the Hollywood screenwriter. Oh, wow. Wrote Gone with the Wind. And Gunga Din <laughs> and Scarface. Jesus Christ. This is about how somebody's an intellectual uh, uh, sued, as they say. Misshued Maggot. His heart wasn't as well it should be. His brain was in his ass. His hand was well out of his pockets. His sight is in the heart. I think there's a quote that he, I, I don't think it's actually Mark himself, but he, I recall him saying, there's nothing worse than a half educated man. Which is a really funny just, thing just to say. said there's nothing worse than a bold man. A bored man? Bold. Bold? No. <laughs> bold. <laughs> <laughs> nothing worse than a bold man. Yeah, on ME 15 or Nothing worse than a bald man. Half educated is great. It haunts me because how do you know when you're fully educated? <laughs> it's. I think it's an attitude of like never feeling self-satisfied. I think that's like... His enemy. Yeah, the smug. The Observer magazine just about sums him up. E.G. self-satisfied smug. Whatever this song is about, this, I mean, we're not going to nail that down. Today. No, and there's no narrative. I mean, to attempt to make linear sense out of it would be a fool's errand. The ending of this song... <laughs> The ending of this song, yeah. Oh, yeah. A uh, Jew on a motorbike. A 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 Jew on a motorbike. Do you want a motorbike? Do you want a motorbike? 
It's not about Dylan. <laughs> it's, could be, couldn't it, it? It does sound like it, doesn't it? It does sound like it. Uh, or Lou Reed, for that matter. A Jew on yeah, a motorbike. A Jew on a Honda scooter. <laughs> yeah. We really, uh, there's a lot of Jews on motorbikes in our... Uh, Jews on motorbikes is really, that could be the alternate name for this program. <laughs> Jews on motorbikes, yeah. That's for this uh, this one. Yeah, apparently it's an uh, allusion to the film The Boys from Brazil. Don't you know if you know that one. Never seen it. Yeah, I is there a Jew it. on a motorbike? Yeah, there is. He's a Nazi hunter. Played by Steve Guttenberg or whatever. Oh, that's cool. (laughs) Dr. Joseph Mengele was here tonight. You mean to tell me you call me at 3 o'clock in the morning to tell me Dr. Joseph Mengele is in Paraguay? I know that, Mr. Kohler. Mengele is sending them out to kill 94, 65-year-old men in the next two and a half years. What are you talking about? And we got some real hambone acting by Greg Peck and even Lord Olivier. The more I think about it, the more I dislike the boys from Brazil. Gene, I'm with you 100%. I was just thinking, you know, for years Hollywood has said Nazis make great villains. After this picture, I think it's so long, Nazis, hello, Mongol hordes. (laughs) Oh, well, the arrival of this cute little canine means it's time for Dog of the Week. The pop group also had a song called Boys from Brazil. The pop group, do you know them, Ian? I don't know. Ah, they're a really great band. Are they a pop group? No. <laughs> the antithesis. They make this sound like pop music. They're terrific. For what it's worth, uh, uh, this is like this single annotation on Genius for the entire record, uh, but they have a quote from Marky Smith from Melody Maker regarding this song, uh, who states, uh, that song's like a skit on the prophet syndrome derives partly from those talks I'd have with a driver of ours who was Jewish, uh. long talks about Judaism. I'd say to him, now there's one thing you'll never see, a Jewish person on a motorbike. <laughs> then one day I was going through Golders Green on the way to a London gig, and suddenly right. the street was full of Jewish people on motorbikes. <laughs> yeah, that's a Jewish neighborhood, uh, North London. That's like the end of Magnolia, but instead of frogs raining from the sky, he will never be a Jew on a motorbike. Mm-hmm. And then... Spitting out your Boddington's. Boddington's the brewery is in Manchester. Right? Yes, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. That's what we're sitting Is that on. deliberate? Yeah. Of course. Yeah, that was one of the things in that little video that I watched with Bricks that you sent. Uh, she was like, yeah, I went over to Manchester and it looked like a shithole. And Mark was taking me around and he was like, hey, there's the jail. There's Boddington's Brewery. <laughs> Here's all of the, the great landmarks. Yeah. The wonders of his home. He was he loved where he was from. Salford, right? Oh, yeah. He rained disdain on London, of course. Hated it. He's always spewing invective against Southerners. Was he right? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Dreadful people on the whole. Well, it says that uh, whether this is true or not, that this line about the Jew on the motorbike appeared first in an early live version of Tempo House. That I see uh, this that line apparently having been on a version of Tempo House makes sense in that a lot of these songs and like similar to Bob, I think, where he will have just little snatches of lyrics written on his little post-it notes and he just kind of assembles them into uh, uh, different shapes that turn into songs ultimately. And if you, when you hear demos and stuff, parts of other songs appear in other versions and stuff. A lot of a lot of this sounds kind of similar, where any of these any of these individual verses might as well be on another song, um, and they just so happen to congeal in this particular kind of shape against this particular soundscape. Exactly. Yeah. 
<laughs> he was always walking around with a little um, like recording device a lot of the time and making little notes. Marky Smith. Yeah, and he would often also on stage play like little recorded things, little tapes into the mic <laughs> and and sort of wander around the stage and, and turn things down and up and put his hand on the keyboard. Yeah, he was always adjusting the monitors. Much jerking off all the instruments. Annoyance of the uh, other. Sort of a, a Smeagol-like presence on stage. Yeah. Anyway, there's like one thing that he recorded. It's the Marky Smith Guide to Writing Guide. Mm-hmm. You heard that? Yeah, but go, going down the path. Yeah, and... it's like step one. Hello, I'm Mark E. Smith, and this is the Mark E. Smith Guide to Writing Guide. Day by day breakdown. Day one, hang around house all day writing bits of useless information on bits of paper. Day two, decide lack of inspiration due to too much isolation and non fraternization. Go to pub. Have drinks. Day three. Get up and go to pub. Hold on in there as style is on its way. Through sheer boredom and drunkenness, talk to people in pub. Day four. By now, people in the pub should be continually getting on your nerves. Write things about them on backs of beer mats. Day five. Go to pub. This is where true penmanship stamina comes into its own as by now guilt, drunkenness, the people in the pub, and the fact you're one of them, should combine to enable you to write out of sheer vexation. To write out of sheer vexation. Day six. If possible, stay home and write. If not, go to pub. Using this method, this is a poem I wrote called London. I just got over to London. Get me a pint of your fine old British ale. London. Decadent backbone of former empire. Spittle-chin southerner looking forward to next holiday. Digital Croydon. £14 per hour. An immigration backlash type situation here. And there's an Indian clerk in the back room with a literature degree. His boss is a flat-roofed architect, overbathed, intense, project, Victoriana, punish. His clothes are flapping United Nations, Japanese pants, odd boots, Euro shirt. His no shirt, his mind is Parisian, 50s situationalist, and neath his designs you have no choice. Stay where you are. He is looking down on you from his tech drawing board. Take the chicken run. Run to the bog. You can do it. Do not. Warning. Rumours of grey cancer builders greatly exaggerated. Manchester. Dear TV Times, Your Majesties, I have concocted through the noble invention and blarney craft of the humble northerner, a system whereby constant annoyance by the telephone can be erased. This entails explosive charges left to me by a dead sailor from Bury, being wired up under every windowsill in close proximity to my ears. When phones ring and are inconvenient to the ears, I just press table lamp like button next to my bed and they blow up. 
I got the idea from a book. Yours sincerely, Mr. Reg Varney. Please note, All the Herbs is available from P.O. Box 935, GTV, Manchester. Once you get a bit of pain, I was splitting myself. They're Billy Billies. Manchester is Manchester ship. Cringing for punishments. Seems like he he had a very uh, dynamic approach to writing, which involved just kind of scribbling things on wet napkins. <laughs> yeah, he was quite secretive about it, actually. I think he used to walk around with a bag, you know, containing all the different strips of papers at various times. What's that? that? He always is going on about carry bag man. Oh, the carry bag man. What is yeah. that? Well, is it's, that a, it? it's like a plastic supermarket bag. Okay. <laughs> Which people in London, in England, would walk around with, you know, and just keep their odds and ends in it, just the way you'd have a, uh, you know, a canvas bag now. The carry bag man. You're the carry bag man. I mean, you've always got your tote bag. I am. I do. But <laughs> I, I, I just don't understand what you're telling me, John, that people in London just walked around. Oh, I used to plastic, do it. Absolutely. A plastic yeah. bag? They don't have bags in other cities. <laughs> you know, a bag you'd get from Vons or Ralph's or Amoeba or whatever, and you just throw your stuff okay, in Okay, so it. the tote bag now, the prevalence of yeah. that is just the adaptation of the carry bag man right. phenomenon. There were no tote bags in those days. Right. If he were writing the song today, it would be the uh, the New Yorker tote bag man. <laughs> the, yeah, he, he probably did mention that at some point, in some way. You can kind of count on him referencing anything ever in any of these songs. Joe Strummer was famous for carrying a bag around with him like that, a plastic bag. He was a carry bag man? Yeah. Just uh, one more note on Garden, just musically. Like, I love how, like, that guitar sound, like, the first couple times I heard it, like, it, and still now, uh, like, it, it just, it sounds so similar to something that you would get on, like, a Joy Division or, like, early New Order record. You know, just, like, the tone of the guitar, but the way it's deployed. Yeah. And the length of the song, and just, like, it, it... It had it like you get that sense memory, or I do at least when I listen to it, and and yet it's presented in this totally fucking like fucked up, dissociative kind of um, uh, fashion with this extraordinarily lengthy lyric that makes no sense if you're trying to read it off the page. It's um, I don't know, it's a really exciting type of music to listen to because like you know post punk is great looks and sounds and certainly where it comes in the canon, but a lot of it starts to feel kind of derivative at a certain point. This is just so far beyond any of that it makes all of those sounds and feelings exciting again to me unlike the rest of the bands around that time it's like they're they reached a they hit a ceiling and then the fall like actually they were punk and Mm. transgressive about the song structure too they didn't ever care about doing things in a, a tight way in a traditional way like they it was always toward something that served whatever there his purposes were in the moment and that makes the the songs feel so much more themselves it, this song is like a fungus it just like grows and it grows and it, you kind of can't stop it whereas other songs are like you know an english garden this is just like mushrooms popping up <laughs> Gods all, gods all, 
Next, we've got Hotel Blodell. What do you think of this one? I think it's a definite change of pace. Well, it was from, this is the song he co-wrote with Bricks. Yeah, and she sings. Right? And it was actually derived from a song she already had with her previous band, and he added lyrics in his own uh, interjections. It's an interesting sidestep. I think it's cool because it sounds so different than everything that you've heard on the on the record so far. Just like all of those brutal kind of guitars and the drums are on, like that's all gone here. Like you do have some drums on here, but there's almost kind of a Mo Tucker quality to it. Like it's really kind of yeah. simple and and like um, rhythmic, you know. Um, so all of the sharp kind of uh, aggressive kind of sounds have kind of faded into the background. And then you've got this cool, like, Bricks is singing lead, but at a certain point, Marky Smith comes in and is, like, doing a spoken word, like, poem kind of thing, basically. Again, it's like super unexpected for me, yeah, you know, I mean, having it, listened to it, you know, uh, with fresh ears. It has yeah. that cool uh, violin too, like in mm-hmm. the background. I think he's playing it. That he's playing, yeah, exactly. Really? Yeah. No, I mean, it's definitely the collage approach to music with uh, all that stuff he throws in about the Confederate graveyard and so on. But apparently, it's based on they stayed spent a night in a hotel near Nuremberg and it was right next to next door to an abattoir and the room smelled of death. And the next morning uh, they looked out of the window and there's a woman carrying a bag of blood. So many bags have been carried into the hotel. Yeah. Oh my God. So there's an abattoir next door. That's another thing. Blodell. Like, what does that even mean? I think it was the name of the hotel. But he's probably talking about that. It sounds like blood. Blood. Too. Yeah. He's there. He is again doing that. It's a a cool song that also has like more. If you if you are looking for themes and motifs that repeat, which I think there's a lot cumulatively. Like by the end of the record, it, it seems like largely about the end of history or sort of like his this song's literally about like history repeating and sort of death mass death um and there's things on garden that also feel like you know that sort of almost biblical feeling at the beginning mm-hmm. um and the thing on the first song about the the computer it feels very time uh warpy and and wings of course yeah. super science fiction fantasy stuff but there's also a lot of domestic imagery. I mean, the songs you got: garden, neighborhood, and 
house also right mm. titles tempo house it's and he true. just because uh, he was domesticating at the time a little bit well, i think he, it was around the time he bought the house and then he was singing about it on the next my, record my new too, house. Of course, <laughs> house, yeah. you should sing my house yeah he uh i think something that comes to mind listening to this this record something that makes me feel so excited and continually refreshed by the listening to the fall is that there are those domestic and familiar references. And it seems like everything he does is in the service of pointing out the um, absolute absurdity and uh, like unlikely reality of things that you just usually don't question. And then you're kind of left kind of not really seeing anything as boring or normal, the wonderful and frightening world and so forth. What do you think of Smile? Shrill, isn't it? Again, he's uh, it's an experiment in irrit- irritation. <laughs> and it's what about that first line? Was it tight, tight, faded male art? Yeah. It's a great first line. This song is amazing. Yeah, it's so uh, it's like it has like almost a martial energy. It feels really um, yes, like milit- militant. Yeah, yeah, he is. He's uh, shit talking southerners again. Lick spittle southerner waiting for the next holiday by gas miser. It's very funny to to listen to that as an American because, like, shit talking southerners has one kind of context here, you know, yeah, um, which would basically be the northerners of England. But him shit talking southerners is like shit talking like the coastal elites well, here yeah. in the states. Right. Well, the north is the England south. Is the south? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, in England, the opposite. Places like Manchester do still have like their own interesting culture and stuff. I mean, the American South has a lot of culture down there. Right. Well, yeah, and then southerners have a lot of southern pride, just like northerners do too. This line would ask for a fag in. Yeah, Texas. that's a good one, isn't it? No, I mean, you know what that is. Yeah, which obviously is, uh, <laughs> I mean, we can say it in this context because they were talking about uh, cigarettes, but um, he is also saying that in a song that starts with tight, faded male arse. Just <laughs> take from that what you will. Repel gun laws in my brain. Smart song. Give us a gun about your phone. Down, 
I feel Vox-ish. Yeah, well, this one's all about the bass line, isn't it? Apparently they were just jamming in the studio and Smith walked in and started barking these lyrics out, which makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah. Rock. <laughs> crisp yeah you know those those crisp packets right sure which is cylindrical like pringles yeah like pringles yeah because <laughs> i think they might have been uh, not too common at that time especially in england a that must be what he's referring crisp. to offer offer was not an unreasonable offer a pillbox crisp that french git the spikes he yeah. left in the bathroom and i never heard from him again well i think he's Going to hyperdermic yeah. needles. Those disgusting vegan new youth punks. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> yeah, he pronounces it vegan. Vegan. Because <laughs> it wasn't a very common word in those days. No, I can't imagine. What is Vox-ish? Well, Vox is voice, isn't it? Like, yeah, I guess yeah, so. Yeah, I think it just feels like... Just feel like talking. Yeah. Feel like talking, feel like ripping and rapping. This one's got a, uh, why does this have an explicit, I'm looking at the record on Spotify, this is the only song on the whole record that has an explicit E on it. I can't figure out oh, if yeah. there's a bad, it like, says fuck, you know, it fuck says with fuck. me again. Yeah. Is it just because fuck? Does he not say fuck on the other songs? No. All right, no one well. will fuck with me again. <laughs> <laughs> but it made me, yeah, uh, made me hungry. What else does he say? Something about, like, victuals? Victuals. Victuals. That's just foods, right? Food supplies, yeah. Made me hungry for victuals could not raise or buy. Is that the lyric? Yeah. It's like getting a taste for these artificial crisps <laughs> becoming a inhuman. <laughs> I've been shopping a knife in the bathroom on a brick I got from the garden. It's a good line. <laughs> well, the next song, Tempo House. Yeah. Is one of my favorite songs of all time. Wow. I think it's like a top five song, period, for me. It's so draggy, isn't it? I mean, yeah. Just, yeah, it's in a, in a seductive kind of way, though. There's something so, about this bass line which feels so like, like, why didn't I think of that? It's just so dead simple, but it feels so final. It feels like. This is the song that plays in the end credits after you die. <laughs> yeah.
it, it's it stops the room cold like it just feels like you can't possibly be distracted think listening to this song it's riveting to me i don't know why other than something about that baseline is just grabs yeah, my it soul it keeps going it's again it's very challenging in a way to listen of because it just uh, it's just so drab and monotonous it has this dreary insistence to it yeah but he the way that he de- deploys the vocals is just really the what makes the song i mean he's so dramatically intense on it. Yeah, I love that uh, sort of plaintive. Uh, what's he saying? Ole, ole, or something. It's pro ray, pro yeah. ray. I it's, don't know. It's a lovely is. kind of lilting way. With Burton weeping. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's Richard Burton. Yeah, I guess so. His portrayal of Winston Churchill. Yeah, he does talk about Churchill a lot in this. And there we are back again to like politics and war. The Dutch are weeping in four languages. Great one. Roll the chubby round jowls, that moment where it goes into that like blubbery weird effect on his voice. Roll the chubby round jowls. Roll the chubby round jowls. And bottom is ripping. The shells are ripping. God sound is a dancing I, I got like uh, uh, Christopher Walken kind of vibes from just the way that he enunciates some of the lyrics on this song. I could hear that. Which mm. I know is not, you know, what he was going for or, or whatever, but just there's something about like the cadence of the way he was putting the, the words across. Something about the two drummers, and this was a live track, like you can watch the video at the Hacienda of them playing this very song that is the one on the record. Right. Um, it. Mm. The two drummers is, if you ever were wondering why a band would do that, I think this is the reason why. Because the song is so slow and it drags, like you're saying, John, but the interplay between the drummers like keeps that space from feeling empty. It, it's always dynamic. There's something happening in there. Uh, I love it. Winston Churchill had a speech impediment, and look what he did. It's got a lot of vitriol yeah. for uh, a lot of people. Not not a lot of uh, you know positive things to say about. Uh, about folks in the lyrics as far as uh, i can tell but maybe yeah. that comes later maybe he maybe he softens in old age well no not really <laughs> he hated people who worshipped him too i mean bands that loved him he would hate and that's a sign of character <laughs> you know like pavement for example who obviously ripped him blind 
he always harps on pavement being like, oh, they were just the fall in 1983. Did he have a thing against pavement? He just said that they copied it. <laughs> well, they did. I mean, it's very, I mean, they totally, New Face in Hell, they ripped that up. And also the covers of their records, the scroll. They were influenced for sure, but it, it kind of goes to show that like you, you don't get respect for from Marky Smith for that. It's pretty clear he was so enthralled with Bricks because she had her own thing going. She wasn't just a groupie fan; she was somebody who was an artist and a, a, had a vision on her own. And I think he was impressed by that pretty clearly. Um, I mean, that I, I struggle to even think of another example where there's like a romance that exists in a band that's like this, where it's like two people came together and it really changed the band for like a whole period. And then that ended. Well, he always had his girlfriends and wives in the band, even after Bricks, of course, but they right. didn't make such an impact that she did. No, they didn't last either, a lot of them. Doesn't seem like the easiest uh, character to get along with. No? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> What's the thing about Jesus Christ in this song? No, on Easter Sunday. Snow on Easter Sunday, Jesus, Jesus Christ, Christ in, in reverse. reverse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is he still talking about Churchill? Perhaps. And the final song on the record is is Hex and Definitive slash Strife Knot, right? Hex and Definitive, yeah. It's a beautiful song. It's exquisite. It has a sort of poignancy and grace to it that one doesn't encounter often in their work. No, and when that happens, it's really special. It's like notable that there's kind of this uh, stately yeah, sort of subdued elegance, quality. Yeah, it has a strange beauty to it. Tired of the posts Blindfold so gone Filming to nance Cut back Art thou that thing That's all the damn words Businessman has trained Businessman has trained his veiled sex seeps through his management slot. The journey takes one hour. And it's a hexen hour. Hexen school. Hexen custom. Hexen mobiles. Hexen
Actually, to me, it sounds like having a terrible hangover. <laughs> sounds like coming down off speed or something. Yeah, that guitar, it's got like a really kind of metallic blood in your mouth sensation to it. Like it just is giving you a migraine listening to it, but in a really, in the best way possible. Yeah. Everybody hears the hum at 3 a.m. Mm. Strife not, strife cannot. Uh, we haven't even talked about the uh thing. Oh, yeah. Which is much talked about with Marky Smith, the... Uh, he just does that sometimes. Well, what can you say? Is Hexen is Hexen Hour here and in like a reference to Hex Induction Hour, or is that something? It's a phrase he used a lot. Repeating meme type lyrics and I like Carrie Bagman. Okay. Hexen. I mean, the the word refers to witchcraft, right? Yeah. Hmm. Like that, like the like Haxon, that movie. It's a, it's about witches sitting around a cauldron. Yeah, yeah. Red church on a hill, styrofoam insides, aluminum tears, or aluminium. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Louis Armstrong tapes waft down the aisles, and it's a Hexen hour. There's yeah, there's this real dramatic quality to the song. And then your favorite line. Oh, it does have my favorite lyric of all. Uh, in any fall song. Which is? Don't confuse yourself with someone who has something to say. <laughs> I have a feeling you were going to like that one. Yeah. <laughs> you know nothing about it. It's not <laughs> your domain. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it goes back to that half-educated thing. You might as well be talking to he's, us. I mean, he's talking to yeah. <laughs> it, 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 if we want to talk about the yeah, I mean, it's it's the lack of patience for the self-satisfied, which is as I grow older, I think more and more when I don't like something or someone, it's because yeah. it's. I realize ultimately there's something about it that's like that, like they think that they, they have it figured out, which is. I don't think that's uh, a way to be. And it seems like the way that Marky Smith continued his career and just pressed on and on and on, it was like in stark defiance of ever being at like the resting point where you get to go uh, to sleep and yawn and put on your little nightcap. That was never going to happen. Yeah, seems very admirable to me and rhymes, I think, honestly, with a lot of what we see from Bob, who is still out there pushing the very limits of what yeah. any sort yeah, of yeah, performing yeah. artist can be, can conceivably be capable of, you know, fucking playing shows across the world in a pandemic in the year, in his 81st year. Marky Smith was playing shows in a wheelchair with kidney cancer two months before he died, right? Like, just like... like three kinds of cancer. His face was all bloated and fucked up. He, he was... Yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's something about that, those videos, that those photos, that, that performance, the fact that he did that. You know, I had tickets to see The Fall. They were going to do a residency of Babies All Right in New York. Hmm. And I was living here at the time. And I was going to fly out there. I bought tickets for every show to make uh, up for never being able to see him. And he died hmm. before. And <laughs> I'm getting emotional. It's like uh, something about him doing that is like just the most noble yeah. and beautiful thing I can think of. Yeah. Usually he's being very aggressive. That's sort of how he's thought of most of the time. But I think it's genuinely heroic that uh, 
his attitude is ultimately like facing down life despite how painful it is and him performing in that wheelchair it surely was incredibly painful for him to be doing that physically he has that quote that i think is like one of the main quotes that sticks with him his fear is something i try not to absorb mm, never heard that yeah it's good advice yeah yeah extras there's nine million songs on the fucking spotify version of this but yeah it's just an eight song record yeah the other tracks are the man whose head expanded lud gang kicker conspiracy wings and pilsner trail i think all of those are great uh wings especially is really really great and that's another thing to note just like in terms of like the music that was released the fall seems like a really like definitive kind of singles band like not just an album band like no. like individual songs in between records um uh like the one we were talking about earlier i forget that you thought was on live at the witch trials evan it turns out it is not um like uh, yeah repetition exactly just that that style of releasing music seems really kind of interesting to me at this fucking late date i have here this thing which i don't even know if you know about it you see this? I saw you post a picture of that on our story. So maybe you can explain what this is, John. Oh, yeah. I'm holding. It's called uh, Friends Experiment. Well, a friend of ours uh, put together this collection of various people's uh, list of their favorite fall songs. songs. I appear in it a couple of times, as do various other people. You got and John Mounts in there. Ariel Pink is here. All of our favorites. I get three lists in here. Yeah, They're John is really one. the John owns it. Really, there's a picture of John in the yes, back too. Wow, this is a precious thing. Uh, it should be in everybody's bookshelf. It's it's wonderful. I don't even know where I got it, and I definitely had it before we were even friends. Yeah, and you list your your favorite fall tracks in there, John. I think this is one of them. Yeah, it is. There's a in the third one. It's like John's final list. Yeah. <laughs> well, because I kept running yeah. into these guys at various events, and I thought they'd just use the last one, but they ended up using all of them. What else is on there? Let's get some other hits. Let's see. <clears throat> Service, the mixer, Ten Houses of Eve, Rebellious Ten. Jukebox, Two Steps Back, Frightened, Flat of Angles, New Face in Hell, and Pressure J Temperance, Leave the Capital, Prolart Threat. Uh, yeah. We should do, uh, we should like throw those all on a playlist or something. John's picks. John selects the fall. I'm into CB. I liked that you had 10 Houses of Eve on there. I was yeah, surprised. One, From it? Levitate. Can you say? 
that's a late period record. Yeah. Well, nineties record. That's another thing. It's like the falls later stuff. It's you gotta listen to all of it. I think if you listen to this record, it'll break through all the difficulties are here. Just like all the pleasures and uh, thrills, everything that's tough about them also exists on this record. And if you get through this and learn to love it, then you're kind of you're good. You got the key to the city. You can listen to the rest of the Falls songs and discography and you'll be able to enjoy it. I can't wait to do that myself. I've got Marky yeah. Smith mindset. Well, I give this record three stars. Out of what? Three. Oh, yeah, me too. Three, absolutely. Also three for me. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's a great record. It's exquisite. I mean, and I've really enjoyed reappreciating it over the last few days too. I think, and I would like to go in this deep with all of their albums. I think we can do expect more. If if Ian, you don't want to take the time uh, because you have other things in your life, like having a wife and um, are you married now? He will be soon. Oh, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm so without a dog or a wife currently that I have, <laughs> it's it is just a, a emptiness there that is so that you're loving great to yeah. because i can i can actually it's possible like we could do more episodes about the fall and nobody's gonna uh be mad at me except potentially you <laughs> i guess <laughs> uh you'll your your brick smith is right around the corner i'm sure john is my brick smith obviously there you go or I, i'm no i'm john's yeah, brick yeah. Smith, of yeah you're the hot blonde from the valley that the englishman has brought yeah. into his life to punch things up I mentioned you in the next article. Oh, you mentioned me in the next article? Yeah. Speaking of which, John's articles appear in Artillery Magazine. They're great. He's one of the only people writing about the scene and vibe uh, such as it is in Echo Park and Silver Lake and the east side of Los Angeles. There's a lot of people who like hang out at the fucking bars and parties, but John actually writes uh, and... uh, Apparently, I'm not immune. Well, it's a series of articles. It started off as a rant against the publishing industry, and it's turned into something else, more of a sort of send-up of the local literary community. <laughs> it's a you... grand epic, and I hope it's all compiled one day. Uh, see what flows from his mushy <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry I didn't feel voxish today. I think that... Uh... That song is just about making a podcast, feeling boxes. That's right. Well, until next time, this has been Jews on Motorbikes. <laughs>
I get more and more sort of frightened of things as I get older, you know, sometimes I can... The thing about being older is I think you can just, like, take it a lot more. Your spirit it handles it a lot better.